We uh, have two things I want to say real quickly before we get into the Word. We're going to be in uh, Luke 15 in a few minutes, verse 11. Uh, to the, those of you who worked on VBS, the servants, um, in a day and age in the church when servitude is dwindling, your sacrifice and your commitment was exemplary, and thank you very much. I have baptism elbow at this moment, and uh, we'd have to switch to, right, to my right side next time. Also, uh, to those of you who have responded and say, yes, we want to go to Israel, good for you. We look forward to it. We need some more to go as well. So why don't we, I, I was thinking about, we, we just sang the Lord's Prayer, and uh, I could not listen to that song, that, that sweet prayer, without thinking of the Mount of Beatitudes and the rolling hill that... Uh, that ends in the Sea of Galilee. And I could see, almost see him standing there on that hillside preaching that sermon. And I thought, don't let anyone miss the opportunity this side of heaven to be there. That's, I don't have words for it. Consider joining Angie and I. She's in the back on your right as you exit. There are many good-looking people back there. She's the most beautiful. You'll see her, and she will give you some information on how to get more information about how to go to the Holy Land. So we look forward to that. Okay. Um, net worth. What is your net worth? I, <laughs> I do this. I don't know. I started it one day. I happened to be watching the TV show and some actor, somebody was on there, I don't know, and I just said, I wonder what their net worth is. So you Google it, you know, and it comes up. Uh, and then you go, well, I, then I play a little game with myself. If I can guess their net worth based on what they do, you know, their profession, do they produce direct, uh, are they an athlete, whatever. Are they an author? So uh, is it strange? Yes, it's, it's an incredibly odd thing to do. Uh, grant you that. I mean, I, I know it's strange, but I do it. And uh, I've gotten pretty good at it, actually. You see, Jerry Seinfeld, his net worth is $950 million. But George Costanza, Jason Alexander, who plays with him, his, his net worth is 50. How'd you like to go to work every day with somebody, sit in the same office to collaborate around the same table, and one guy's worth $900 million more than you are? How about that? That's weird to me. Leonardo DiCaprio, he's at 260, 260 million. Beyonce, what would you guess Beyonce to be? 500 million, it's not bad, huh? Maybe some perfume, a few songs. Uh, she's got 500 million dollars. Oprah, she's got networks, 2.5 billion dollars. John Lithgow, so he's a character actor, so he's not a lead actor, he's got 50 million net worth. So you take all his assets and you, and you subtract all his liabilities, you know. Adam Sandler, who basically doesn't act. He wears baggy shorts and he's himself, 24-7. And for that he gets $480 million. And he's waiting for an additional $350 million when his deal with Netflix finalizes. So we could say that he's at $830 million for wearing uh, baggy pants. 
Will Ferrell, probably the, the, the greatest waste of financial money in the history of the earth, $160 million. Will Ferrell says something a little bit about, I think, our culture. David Green, Hobby Lobby, $4.5 billion. Pretty strong. Uh, then sometimes I get a little bit off and maybe, you know, I'm channel surfing and I think, let me hop over to somebody else. Who would have the same net worth as John Lithgow, character actor? Well, Joel Osteen, $50 million. There you go, $50 million. Makes sense. Stefan Curry, two of his greatest fans right here, $160 million. I don't know much of that you've given to him, but good work. Elon Musk. Of course, you've got to take his total and subtract like his car payments and stuff like that. Car loan, and cable. $213.9 billion. So we needed the $0.9 billion to really get a feel for it. $213.9. So what is your net worth? What is your net worth? Uh, Proverbs 13 and 22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. That's interesting, isn't it? This whole idea that um, fathers, and I would say mothers as well in our culture, uh, sort of have this biblical sort of, I don't know if it's what you call it, a mandate or encouragement or statement that out of our abundance we should have something set aside for our children and our children's children. That can be a bit convicting, actually. Um, but that's what the Bible says. And, and here you have this culture where you transfer wealth through land, cattle and sheep and such. Um, but eventually, I think we're called to take our prosperity that the Lord helps us to acquire and steward it well and, 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 and leave with this idea that we're going to leave some for our children and grandchildren. All right, I'll go along with that. Notice this one. It says Luke 15 and 11. There was a man who had two sons. Parable of the prodigal son. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he, abs- he, he knew, the kid knew, I mean, what the deal was, right? So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. I have relationships with pe- people in the, in the body of Christ sometimes, and we'll get in these conversations. They say, could you give me some advice? And, and I say, well, I don't give advice. They say, could you share wisdom? And I said, well, maybe, I don't know, let's see. And then they share this, the situation. I have, a, I have a son or a daughter who's sort of a black sheep in the family. Should I give them an inheritance equal to my other sons and daughters? That's, they're asking me this, right? So I do the best I can to, to do the little two-step out of that conversation. I, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, the, the, what's the answer? Seek the Lord, right? They can always fall back on that. But here's a guy who probably asked the same question, if not others, his friends down the street, other farmers, or maybe even God himself. Of course, it's a parable. I'm not sure it even happened. But the fact of the matter is, here's a guy who gave his inheritance early to his son. This is interesting. And don't you think he knew his son sort of kind of knew him? Did, don't you think he probably had an idea that if he gave his inheritance to his son, that his son would probably squander it? I mean... Yeah, probably. I mean, it's not like the kid just all of a sudden blew up and became somewhat different. He squandered the money. With what? Prostitutes. 
So his dad, he had to have some idea that this kid had this propensity to be, you know, kind of off the reservation, so to speak, but he gave it to him anyway. Isn't that interesting? Now, he didn't even bring it up with the other son who was, you know, son of the week, week in and week out. So he gives it to his son, and he goes off and he squanders it. Why did he do that? Was he not wise? Why would a father do that? That's an interesting question. Do you know that inheritance is received large or small today, are gone in an average of 17 months? It's interesting. Did you know that between 23 and 72 trillion dollars will be wealth transfer in the next 50 years? There's going to be a nearly $72 trillion transfer of wealth to the younger generations that we currently have. If you need a reason to pray after that, you didn't hear what I said. David Green, the founder of Hobby Lobby and the author of the book Giving It Away, All Away, said about 30% of family businesses survive in the next generation. of family businesses do not survive with the next generation. $72 trillion. 17 months before the inheritance is gone. Wow. That's startling. Why would a man give his inheritance to his son early if in he had a pretty good idea he would squander it? I'm not advocating for or against that, but I will make this point. The boy was more important than the inheritance. And what the boy would learn was more important than having the money and not having learned it. There's something that that son needed that he likely would not have if it wasn't for the inheritance. And it was probably something like humility, teachability, gratitude, a heart for a father. But doesn't the father say, I worked hard for that money. I worked, hey, listen, I worked hard and long for that money. Yes, you did. But you had already set it apart. You had already put it in an account. You had already added it up for your son. Was it really your money? Or were you simply managing your son's money for him until you die? Knowing his son and knowing the propensity for him to squander it, he gave it to his son anyway and waited for his return knowing he would have to. Had he not given his, that particular son that inheritance, 
the inheritance would have the last word in the son's life because the father would not be alive. Now, without riches, the father has the last word in the son's life because the father is going to help the son navigate the loss and learn from it. If we look to the father in heaven and all we are is gimme, gimme, my name's Jimmy, you might just find that you get what you ask for and you might find you're not ready for it. And you might find that he gives it to you so that you can learn what it means to lose it. Don't ask for that spouse and be married to the concept of marriage and eventually lose that spouse in a divorce. God didn't give you the spouse to divorce, but now you're gonna have to learn how to navigate loss. What's got the last word? Hey, what's your net worth? What's your net worth? On a financial level, I have no idea what your net worth is, nor is, do I care, and nor is it any of my business. Your heart is my business. Your net worth is not. Ephesians 1 and 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you and the riches and the riches and the riches of his glorious inheritance. The prodigal son wondered what it would be like to be rich. Don't let that be you. In Christ, you already are. Now. The question is not whether enough or not you're rich. The question is, are you squandering it? You are incredibly rich in Christ. Are you stewarding that abundance? Can you look at this man? and see him squander that on casinos and wild living and drunkenness and prostitutes and look at him and go, what is that guy thinking? But yet you have a hundredfold, a thousandfold his riches and ask yourself this question, am I squandering the power, the wisdom, the clarity, the insight, the enthusiasm, the knowledge, the inspiration, the anointing of the Spirit of God? Okay, once you open up the can of worms, I guess everything's pretty much fair game. We point the finger at him as long as we can bring it back to us. We're Richard. He's ever thought he would be ever dreamed he would be were richer than he is. Philippians 4, 19, and my God will meet all your needs according to his riches and his glory 
in Christ Jesus. You know you're rich. You wouldn't have sung that song the way you did if you weren't. Forget money. You've got the riches of the glory, the inheritance of the Father, man. Woo! That's top shelf. The net worth of all these characters I just named you couldn't even touch that or the interest on it. Come on. We're loaded. We're not even in the same league. As I've told you before, we're the wisest people on the face of the earth. Let's simplify it. Of every single person on the face of the earth, we are among the wisest. Why? Because the rest of the world outside of Christ can't answer these very simple questions. We know where we've been. Everyone knows that. We know where we are. Not everybody knows that. And we know where we're going. Many people only think they know. This makes us wise. We're rich, abundant. Our cup runneth over. We've got a treasure trove of insight. If you just want to look at a real practical sense, your Bible and all 10 of the other ones you have at home next to the commentaries and the dictionaries that you have on that shelf, just that alone is thousands of times more than some people in the world have. They're lucky to have a chapter one epistle, they're passing it around trying to get another copy. There's some people that speak a language for which they can't even read the scripture. Yeah. Do we take for granted the living word? We're not filthy rich, oh, we're holy rich. We are wholly rich. Given a document executed by a counselor, we have a last, executed, last will and testament we know as the New Testament, which lists all of the things that we have inherited in Christ. The Spirit of God, the executor of the will, tries daily to explain to us the abundance that we've been given in Christ so that we could not squander it and squander the time to utilize it. What do we do with this inheritance? Well, the first thing i got to tell you is one of the things that has to be, has to be, it cannot not be, we have to have intentionality. You intentionally, listen, you intentionally come to church on Sundays. I guess the average, what's, I wonder what the average is in this church. Two and a half times a month, three times a month, I don't know, whatever it is. When you're not here, most of you are online. Okay, so you intentionally, you intentionally send under, I guess, my teaching. Do you know how humbling that is to me? Do you know what a responsibility that is for me? Do you know what James chapter 3 verse 1 says about that? It is petrifying to know 
that people would come intentionally to receive something from the Word and count upon me to somehow rightly divide it. That is a scary thought, if you have anyone ever thinks about it. I don't know how you could think about it if you're trying to keep up with $50 million. But that's a sobering thought. And I can tell you, it takes intentionality to prepare something to say to you and respect you in the process. But it takes intentionality to give away what you have in the Word as well. The riches of His glorious <laughs> inheritance in the saints. Man, you've got to have some sort of intentionality on a daily basis. There's so much to give away that's been bequeathed to you in the New Testament. There's so much to give away. The problem that we have is there's not enough time. If you're really honest, there's not enough time to give it away. And it's not dead. It's alive and it's living and it's active and it's sharper than a double-edged sword. And the people are hungry for it. They're thirsty for it. They're dying for it. They're literally perishing because of a lack of life. And we have the life that's in the blood. We have everything. How could we ever withhold that from other people? How is that even an option? How is that even a consideration? How is that even a reality? That would be like the richest man in the world, whoever that is. Maybe I listed him. I don't know. It would be the richest man in the world. And poor people come before him every day and he doesn't give them a dime. Not a dime. That's how rich we are. We're richer than he is. We are richer than the richest man in the earth in Christ. How is it possible in this realm that we could withhold something from somebody that needs it? I don't know. My concern is I have, I, I have this thing on my head. i got like 20 years to live. I don't know what that means. Maybe it's less, maybe it's more. My greatest concern is I don't have enough time to give away what I've been given. I want to give it all away. To, you, you, need a, you need a mode of communication. You need the people. You need everything. You've got to get it out. I've got to print it. I've got to broadcast it. I've got to teach it. I've got to preach it. I am so caught up with giving everything away, I can't stand it. I'm too rich. That's my problem. And it happens to be your problem, too. Deal with it. I don't know what your net worth is. It's in, incalculable. No idea. You can't even calculate it. But let me ask you the question in a different way. I'm going to ask you the same question in a different way. Hey, my friend, what's your net worth? What's your net worth? Matthew 4, 19, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We got a group of guys that used sit in this church every Sunday. They're down there fishing in Florida right now. I got a nice trip going on, get a nice tan. They can catch all the fish they want, but if they can't get that net in the, in the water and get it up out of the boat, ain't gonna happen. What's their net worth? I don't know, I hope it doesn't have a hole in it. Not, at least not a big one. I hope it's, hope it's ready to pull in a harvest. I hope, it, I hope it's not broken. I hope it, uh, it's clean. 
I hope it's not rotted. You see, when Jesus came along and said, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, you know what they were doing? One of them was cleaning the nets. One of them was repairing the nets. And one of them was stretching the nets. That's when he asked them that question. Come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. He was very much aware of the state of their nets. You are so wholly rich, you and I intentionally ought to be doing one of three things on some level with our kids, our grandkids, our neighbor, our enemies, somebody. We ought to be cleaning some nets, repairing some nets, and stretching some nets. So what's your net worth? It ain't worth nothing if you're not using it. If you're not catching fish, it ain't worth a thing. Give it to someone else. Let them use it. I'm asking myself the same question. What's my little net worth? Who or what have you caught? Rich man and rich woman. Who or what have you caught? Who or what have you taught? What should you ought? If you start to look at the absolute treasure chest of knowledge that has been accumulated over decades in many of your lives, and you, you, you somehow converted that into coins or bills, and you set it in your living room, and you watch just buckets upon buckets of knowledge and experiences and testimonies over the years just dumped out on your living room floor, when it got above the windows and it started leaking out into the front yard, would you get the point that you're rich? More importantly, would it dawn on you how that guy down the street from you is in poverty? Intentionality. All right, so what do we do? And a person with intentionality understands the power of paper. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2. Make the vision plain. Write it upon tablets that a messenger may run with it. Write down the vision of how you are going to start depleting your spiritual bank account. Write down the vision about every single day you've got more going out than perhaps you have coming in. We have enough on deposit to last us for decades. How do we get rid of this understanding, this joy, this knowledge, this faith, how do we get rid of love? How do we try to exhaust ourselves of love and just bucket after bucket after bucket after bucket poured out on somebody each and every day, hoping that your, your total supply isn't bearing interest and overaccumulating more than you gave out? Just get rid of some love, enthusiasm, encouragement. We're so 
holy rich, we can barely waddle. And you keep coming to church to get another bucket or two. Somebody better start getting rid of some. What's your legacy? You don't have one that's not on a piece of paper. You've got to be intentional. What am I going to give to my grandson? And how often am I going to give it to him? What about this neighborhood? What about this lady who works for me? What about the lady at the dry cleaners? I've got to start getting rid of some of this stuff. I'm getting old. I had a blood vessel pop in my eye this week. Never happened to me before. It's minding my own business. And I thought, maybe I'd ask you guys. You could help me out. Is that something that just starts to happen? I don't know. What, what is that? I play backgammon online. I'm an expert, actually. But this baffles me. Every ad that pops up when I play backgammon has to do with neuropathy, neuropathy of the feet. Is that something that I should be aware of? Is it? Everybody wants to talk to me about that. Is, that. is that what I'm looking forward to? <laughs> Every time I open, open my computer and I'm writing a type, I'm making a document or typing a book, I'm always having to go online, a Bible gateway, I'm always having to look at these ads that basically are telling me I'm falling apart. I found the answer. I'm getting a Superman costume with a washboard ab like Thomas Bates did. That guy hadn't done a sit-up in I don't know how long. It looks like he's been doing them every day of his life. Superman. What have you caught? What have you taught? And what should you ought? Wednesday night, we had a good time. I enjoyed being here. The, the church has been struck by lightning tri- twice recently. I don't know how to interpret that doctrinally. I don't know if we need to run off the mountain and go hide in Clayton or we need just God's trying to tell us some power is about to be loosed in this place. I have no idea, but we'll find out. So far, everybody's alive. This is great. We've had some cars die out there. Internet died. Cameras died. Lights died. Panels died. But we had a good Wednesday night in half dark. And the homework assignment was to go home and pick 10 areas of life. You know what they are. Marriage, money, something's always having to do with finance and romance, or the lack of either one, or the abundance of both. Parenting, education, hobbies, vocation, whatever. Look in your treasure chest. What do you have in there that you need to be writing down and start sharing with people? How are you preparing your grandson and granddaughter and great-granddaughter and great-grandson? How, are, how is your legacy going to have the last word, not their situation? If I had to do it all over again, I mean, God knows I've made a lot of mistakes. If I had to do it all over again, I'd adopt a story for my family. What's a story? I read this article one time. <clears throat> this man was having trouble with his teenagers. They were just being normal teenagers, I guess. He got the whole family together. 
And he says, I want us to decide what ministry, what, what work that's going on in the world somewhere that we're going to be, as a family, we're going to get involved with and support. I don't know, through a series of events, they picked some orphanage somewhere in Central America or something. I don't know, maybe their church. It, it's kind of good to go along with the church because you can bring more people in on this. But you have a, you have a story, all right, we're going to help this, we're going to get to know this, this ministry and um, we're going to follow them and we're going to watch these kids grow up and get sent off into wherever they're going. That's going to be our story for our family. We may even take trips there occasionally. It's kind of like the Compassion International. How many of those people that support a child in Compassion International? How many of you uh, get the child's photo and wish them well and then just use that auto pay to take care of them? How many of you actually write the letter to the child? And All right, uh, here you go. I got you now. How many of you go gone to their high school graduation? Oh, I thought you were raising your hand, sir. I was going to say, well, man, you need to be preaching. There was a movie years, out, years ago. It was uh, not, not the most tasteful movie. It was uh, Jack Nicholson. What about Schmidt? And uh, he was this old guy, and he retired, and his wife died. And he couldn't even make a ham sandwich. It was pitiful. So he got in the uh, RV that he and his wife were going to retire in and enjoy life in, and he drove around to see his kids who didn't want anything to do with him. But he, he sponsored one of these kids with Compassion International. And the thing that saved him is that he would write to the young boy. Because they got an incredible ministry. It's incredible ministry. It's changed nations. It's changed cultures. But what really helped this man is not that he just wrote a check. He developed a semi kind of a relationship with the kid and he wrote him a note. And the note was more for the writer, not the recipient. And he began to adopt a story. A story. Well, what happened in this article with these kids that were having a hard time and this family that was just going through ups and downs is that they could always rally when it came to that orphanage. That was their one thing they never argued about. That was the one thing they cared most about. They had a story, and they were living out a story for someone else's behalf. They were having problems with each other, but the, and they failed to realize how absolutely rich they were in Christ. And when they started giving things away that Christ had given them, their family came back together. Story. I wish I had done that. Colossians 1 and 27. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Uh, I end with this on this Father's Day. Dads, you have a lot to offer. Grandfathers, you have a lot to offer. Continue to offer. Whether it's received or not, continue to offer. Be intentional. You're wise. You're set apart. You're men of God. You're anointed. And you're rich, holy rich holy rich, much more rich than you realize. And your family, your neighbors, your co-workers, people you used to work with, many of them are poor and confused and empty. 
Keep giving. Keep giving. Be intentional. In Covington, Georgia, there's a, far, there's a camp there, it's FFA camp, Future Farmers of America or something, I don't know. It's a pretty nice camp. That's where they filmed uh, In the Heat of the Night, that TV show. Many, many years ago, I went there. And uh, Al Whittinghill was speaking. He used to speak in this church. It was an Ambassadors for Christ weekend, men's weekend, and I was there. I was a new believer. I mean, this goes back to the late 80s. And he was waxing on about something, and I was learning because I didn't know anything. But something struck me. I mean, it just struck me like a ton of bricks. Like it hit me like a freight train. I saw, I was standing in the back, and I looked forward, and I saw a man, a father, holding his 14-year-old, 10-year-old, something like that, boy's hand. And the music was playing, and we were worshiping. And the boy looked up at his dad. (laughs) He took his hand. And they just went like this, and they worshiped. I was so undone. I was the only Christian in my family. (laughs) And I was getting rich. My balance was skyrocketing. And I didn't didn't have anybody in the family to give it to who would take it. And I said, I said, Lord, I want that one day. I want to worship with my dad like that little boy is. So on, on, on Y2K, New Year's Eve, my mother fell and hit her head on the concrete, and she was in death's door. Her brain was um, swollen. She didn't recognize anybody in the family. So my dad called me at 3 o'clock in the morning and said, we're, we're supposed to be in a helicopter going to Savannah, but it's too foggy. Anyway, long story short, they... He got to the hospital, and he was scared to death. His wife was dying. And a man, father, another father of our youth minister in Atlanta, shared the gospel with my dad and led him to Christ. Now my dad is confused sometimes. He doesn't know where he is. Or he wants to know why he can't go home when he is home. Or why he's not home when he's out of facility. And he's grown in his faith and he's become richer and richer and richer, but I've never yet had the chance to hold his hand and worship. But I will. I will. And fathers, it's not an easy gig. You've got to strap on. And stand up and stand for something and know how to do it lovingly. Know how to do it. Discern. Give away your wealth. Before you die, give away your wealth. And I'm not talking about money. Because the one you give it to has to know how to steward it or to steward its loss or its gain. 
lived a life, Lisa May, she was at our farm this, this past week having a planning retreat, and it dawned on me, Christ holds all things together. And the American family is falling apart, as are the generations, further and further apart. So what does that mean? It's not his fault. He needs some people to help participate and co-op with him. And that's you dads, moms. Start giving away your wealth of understanding, of knowledge, of wisdom at the right time in the right portion so that it can be digested and your family can be more like what they eat, Jesus Christ. Herein lies the intentionality of the future of the country you so desperately and passionately love. If you'd really love this country, that's what really motivates you, then you'll exhaust your wealth on your way out. Because failure to do so will leave this country spiritually impoverished. And that's the truth. Amen? We need dads to be dads and to be husbands. We need this particular dad to learn how to be the kind of dad he needs to be in this current context, and I'm very much aware of that. The communities have come forward. We're going to take Holy Communion together. How appropriate. We look at a communion, and rightly so, we look at it as the table for which we remember Christ, yes, we're grateful, Eucharist, yes, and that we recognize the broken body of Jesus Christ and we, we take of the cup, right, which is the forgiveness of sin. Perfect. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna share another aspect of this table with you this morning. I want you to keep it in mind. In the Old Testament, Jesus said, or God said, Yahweh, he said, the life is in the blood. The life is in the blood. The life is in the blood. Don't eat an animal and drink the blood. Stay away from the blood. Don't ingest the blood. But all of a sudden, we have this paradigm shift to where we have a cup that is the blood of Christ. What's, what meaneth this? The life you're looking for at, is at this table. The vitality, the strength, the creativity, the insight, the life of Christ is in the blood. When you partake of the cup, enjoy the forgiveness of your sins. But he follows his word with signs and wonders following, confirming his word. I just gave you a word. What will confirm that and what will empower you and anoint you to do exactly what that word called you to do is in that cup. We best realize that before we drink it. It's true. The wherewithal, because obviously if we're not sharing our spiritual wealth, we're the problem. The wherewithal to do that, the opportunity, the insight, the discernment to do that very thing is in the cup. If the life is in the blood, it's in Christ. Christ is going to do that through us, but you got to know it before you drink it. Drink it knowing that God will confirm what was set up here through the, he'll confirm what I set up here in your life. Drink the cup and you're aware 
that you're gonna exhaust your spiritual riches. He'll do that, he'll confirm that. So don't sit there and say, how am I gonna do that? It's in the blood. It's already taken care of, it's in the blood. Let's pray. The life is in the blood. We need the life, we partake of the cup. We need forgiveness, we partake of the cup. We need to recognize our brokenness, we partake of the bread. We need healing, we partake of the cup. Justification, the cup. Sanctification, the cup. Power, the cup. Overcoming power, the cup. But let the life of Christ well up within us as rivers of living water, and let us be the fathers, the mothers, the grandfathers, the grandmothers we've called to be. In Jesus' holy name, for we are holy, rich. Too much so. Amen. Reverently, take the elements, please, as they're passed. Stay right where you are today and ponder what was said here today and what's resonating in your heart as the elements are passed. Amen.